Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. No, I'm not Pete. Good morning, everybody. You know that, that song, No Rival, No Equal, didn't that make you feel great? No rival, no equal. Matter of fact, the music I enjoyed so much, I just wanted to get up and leave, and then I realized that I had to preach, so I'm stuck. I'm with you all this morning. Good to be with you. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity again to share with you in the beginning of the new year in terms of talking about some spiritual disciplines. And I like to be as consistent as I can in those areas. And I found one time uh, a few weeks back that I was reflecting and meditating on God's word, and then a unique thing happened. An anxious thought crept into my mind. Ever, ever have a time when you're just kind of check, everything's great, and then this weird flippant thought just kind of whacks you on the back of the head, kind of like Denozo and NCIS, right? And it got me, and I found myself, the more I kept thinking about it, the course of my thought processes really began to change. And I get a little anxious. Uh, and I'll just share with you what that is. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a young man. And over time, you start thinking about what's going to happen with phase of life. So you start thinking in terms of, of work and career, retirement, things like that. And then all of a sudden, you start going, well, well what if? And, and then, and then what, what about? And well, how, how, how's that going to happen? And I went from an opportunity where I was actually enjoying a conversation with the Lord, and then boom, it just, my whole life just flipped at that moment. And those are the times when you start to get, what, anxious So we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about anxiety and worry, but we also want to talk about the promises that God has made for us as believers so that we can work through that process, because I believe there really is. There's a story of a family that had their grandmother take her first airplane flight, but she hadn't been very confident about the experience of leaving the ground in this tin contraption. When they met her at the airport on her return, one of the family members kidded her by asking, well, Grandma... Did the plane hold you up okay? And she, of course, grudgingly replied, well, yes, but then quickly added, but I never did put my full weight down on it. (laughs) Thank you, Grandma. You know, many believers are like that, Grandma, and the truth is they're being sustained completely by God, but they're afraid to put their full weight down on him. As a result, they're plagued by anxiety, and they aren't able to enjoy the flight. Few of us are strangers to anxiety. It creeps in over big and little things. It gnaws away at our insides. Someone graphically described anxiety as that thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. If encouraged, though, it's going to cut a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. We now often hear phrases like being stressed out or having a panic attack, and psychiatrists say that anxiety is the most common mental disorder that they encounter. We often feel anxious about our what? our finances. Today, in the pandemic world, we're thinking about COVID. Am I going to get it? If I get it, will I die? Is my loved one going to get it? Should I take the vaccine or not to vaccine, right? We go back and forth. Are we there? How can we make this month's bills be paid? I've lost my job. Now what? How will I be able to fix a car if it breaks down again? You know, mom and dad have dementia. Now what? I can't afford to take care of them. How are we going to put the kids through college? How are we going to meet our medical bills? How, how, how? See what happens? And it becomes crushing. Because where you focus, 
is where you're going to end up residing. You know, we feel anxious about our health, especially as we grow older. If I get cancer or Alzheimer's, what if I'm disabled or have to go into a nursing home? And if we're younger, we may have these things, these same anxieties, but they're concerning our aging parents. We're anxious about our children. Will they turn out okay? Will they avoid drugs or sexual immorality? Will they be safe in this crime-ridden world? Will they be able to get into college and get a decent paying job? Will they marry a godly person and have a happy home? What kind of world will their children have to live in? Holy cow. You getting tired? The list go on and on. Maybe we're getting anxious just listening to me give different reasons for anxiety. Sometimes we can't identify any specific reason for anxiety, but it's there, it's nagging, it's on the inside. It's strapped to our well-worn backpack of anxiety. You started the day not with a prayer, but your mind was loaded down with worry. What a dreadful habit we get into. You know, Jesus challenged his followers with the question, and who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life in Matthew 6? You see, worry solves nothing. It creates unrest and uneasiness. And left unchecked, it can turn our waves of anxiety into a perfect storm of emotion. Add a little imagination, a little creativity, color for all to see. One author wrote, the stress from worry drains our energy and preoccupies our minds. It strips us of our peace. Few in God's family are exempt. We fret over big things and we fret over little things. Some of us have a laundry list of concerns that feed our addiction to worry. Anxiety has become a favorite pastime. We love to hate and worse, we're passing it on to our children as they see the worry on our faces, as they hear it from our lips, and you'll find relief, again, knowing that we're mentoring them into the art of anxiety for the future. I don't like that. Before this day is done, you will have another occasion to choose between worry and maybe prayer. Determine now what you're going to do. Decide now when the crisis arises, you will transform that worry into a prayer. At the end of your praying, your emotions are still in turmoil, but pray more. And while praying, release your grip. Sometimes we still want to hold on to that anxiety, don't we? Sometimes we are so comfortable with the familiarity of pain that we are uncomfortable with that liberating what should be change of letting go. Isn't that terrible? I love the pain, and I don't want to let go. Here's some statistics. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health problems in America. Experts estimate that 40 million Americans, and I think that's a low estimation, suffer from some anxiety disorder. That's 18% of all American adults. And did you know that over the last three decades, anxiety disorders have jumped over 12 100%. Psychologist Robert Leahy said the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as an average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. This is the country we are in today, and these are the same young people that are also taking suicide as a way out. The World Mental Health did a survey of 14 different countries that were studied uh, and found out, this is amazing to me, that the United States had clinically significant levels uh, of anxiety more than people in Nigeria, Lebanon, and Ukraine. Aren't those wonderful places to go have a vacation? 
If you know much about those countries, you know they're troubled spots. So the Gallup organization also found out that 60% of U.S. adults are feeling daily stress and worry, and a new poll they just came out with shows worry and stress fuel record has dropped in U.S. life satisfaction. People are getting more anxious. You see, worry is choosing to fret and to churn instead of turning it completely to God. Worry is wrestling with anxiety on your own rather than releasing it to the Father. Remember, Grandma couldn't let loose on that plane. Anxiety for the Christian is oftentimes irrational in that we can believe God to take us to heaven, but he can't handle our problems on earth. God is good for eternity, but he's not good for time. He can deliver us from the penalty of sin, but he doesn't care about the details of our life. So what exactly is anxiety? Well, clinically, they'll define it this way, right? And you can find a myriad of them, but let me enhance our knowledge of anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion that's characterized by uneasiness, apprehension, dread, concern, tension, restlessness, and worry. An anxious individual often anticipates misfortune, doom, and danger. What a trifecta. It's a bunch of words, but I think everybody in this room knows exactly what that feels like. And really, what causes anxiety? And I think there are three main elements that we need to understand. There's a future, there's a present issue, and also a past. First of all, there's fear of the future. Think of what we've been going through now the past 14 months in the U.S. with the pandemic, and it's become a worldwide situation, right? We have some people that think the pandemic is this, and we have others that think something exactly opposite. Both intelligent individuals, or at least so we think. But now we're forced to have to make decisions in terms of what's appropriate. We have governments telling us what we can and what we can't do. Many of us sometimes, like sheep, just kind of go in and say, do it. Other times we struggle through trying to make that decision. So we struggle with issues in the present. In that case, that is a medical condition. It's an invisible intruder, but it has many of us frightened because we think, what if? And it challenges us. So what causes anxiety? It's fear of the future. What's going to happen? Right now, we're in that worldwide social laboratory with COVID as a pandemic. We also have conflict in the present. I think of the implications of COVID. How many people do you know that may have lost their job? How many people that you know that may potentially lose their home because they don't have a job to sustain themselves right now? How many people do you know that are just struggling through life in general? Things that are just grabbing hold of them in such a way that it has profoundly neutralized them and they can't move forward. And not only is it a fear of the future or conflict that we have in the present, but it also is from regrets over the past. Have you ever been out sometime, just like I was the other day when I was meditating on Scripture, and then out of the blue, that crazy thought comes in, and next thing I know, I have this wave of emotion that's kind of controlling me? Do you have any regrets in the past that when you stop for a moment and reflect on those uncontrollably, it begins to take over your thought patterns, and you feel the pressure of that, the anxiety of those events, and you also know some things that maybe some other people don't know. And now you're anxious thinking, but what if they find out? Have you been there? I won't have you raise your hand. I'm seeing a few nods, so I'm, I'm with you on that one. Then how does anxiety affect us? Well, obviously it messes with our physical state, our mental state, our emotional state, our spiritual state. Anxiety and worry are like that rocking chair. Sure, it makes a lot of movement, but it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. 
Harvard Medical School says that those who are gripped by anxiety have a greater risk for developing a number of chronic medical conditions, including your upper GI system, upper respiratory system. It's also been linked to heart disease. Isn't this a, an encouraging message? Don't you feel good? Charles Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow its sorrows, but it empties today of its strength. Amen, Charles. Years ago, on a land far, far away, I was able to play some sports like David, we remember our, the back of his helmet, where his head went, his body went. Stan, am I agreeing with that? Where the head goes, the body goes. We've got to start shifting what we think about. In the New Testament, there are over 26 occurrences for the word anxiety. It means appropriate concern and care. That's interesting. It's worry, anxious, and care. Worry, anxious, and care. Same word. Set up the context for what's going on. Sometimes Paul had anxiety for the church in general or care for them. It wasn't the anxiety that burdened him in terms of paralyzing him. It, was, it drew him to prayer so that he could lift them up for God to watch over them. And you know, when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, that's the word that he chose. When Jesus spoke to Martha who was so distracted and busy when Jesus came over while Mary was sitting at his feet, Jesus said to her, and I almost called this message, Martha, Martha, because I get this one, right? He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. That's the word he chose. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Don't you remember that event? All these people were showing up for lunch and she was getting all this stuff created. She was just a frenetic mess. And what was her sister Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's a great illustration because if you think about it, what Martha was doing in her distraction and being controlled by those events is in, in dire contrast to what her sister Mary was doing, sitting at the feet of Christ. And I think it's an apt analogy to say, are you caught in those distractions of life or do you take time to sit at the seat of the master? But that's the phrase that Jesus used. When you put those two words together, it literally means to tear or to separate, to tear or to divide. And it ties back into the mind. So what's happening is with anxiousness and worry, it literally is tearing and separating your thought processes. James said, you're a double-minded man. And then he adds, you're unstable in all your ways. Amen? It's an apt description of anxiety. Anxiety is when your mind is divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. Anxiety takes your mind into two different directions and then it rips it in two. And that's why I like what James said. Now, some other scriptural passages, there's kind of the appropriate care concern in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. We hear that besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's Paul speaking to the churches. So he had the good kind of concern, right? He was thinking about them, just like we have concern for our children or our family or friends, whatever. Also in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another, equal care for one another. That's the positive side of that word. But when we think of anxiety and worry, where do we go? We go to the other side of that word, right? So let me give you a few examples. The passage that we're going to talk about today is in Philippians 4. I'm trying to set this up because I get to walk you through just some very key principles, so the setup is going to be longer than the actual passage itself. 
And we'll talk about 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 9. But in 1 Peter 5, you remember where Peter says, cast all your what? Anxiety. On who? On him. Why? Because he cares for you. Amen? And that casting is an aggressive casting. Think of it this way. How many of you all have a backpack or ever wore a backpack? Let's put it that way. Right? So I have a backpack when I go travel. I usually carry it. Sometimes I'll put it on my shoulder so it kind of balances out when I'm walking through the airports. But the idea of, the, of casting your anxieties on Jesus is like taking off that backpack full of worry and casting it to him. Do you get that? It's physical, tangible. You're taking it off and you're casting it to him. It's not passive. Cast your cares to Jesus because he cares for you. It's not that way at all. And we've got to be aware of those things because the master, again, wants us to do just Luke 8. Remember the passage on the four soils? Amen? We have four soils, and that third soil is that rock or the thorny areas where the seed walks in. And what happens? They get choked out, don't they? It's not nice. Again, we talked about Luke 10, about the Martha, Martha passage. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen the better, and it will not be taken from her. But I want to set this up real quickly. In Matthew 5 through 6 and 7, we have the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And I need you to take some time to go through that passage. Because what Jesus is setting up there is, he is saying that, listen, there are two kingdoms. My kingdom and the other kingdom you choose to live in. That's not my kingdom. But you're making that choice. And in that kingdom, Jesus went through in Matthew chapter 6, remember where people were worried about what they ate, what they drank, what they wore, how they're going to take care of themselves, right? Meal, monies, and material goods, 3M, all those issues that they were struggling with. And what does Jesus tell them? Four times he says, don't what? Say it again. Yeah. And then a second time he says, don't worry. And then a third time he says, don't worry. And then the last time it's interesting. He doesn't really in. Whoa. But Jesus, you don't know my situation. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't even begin. Fascinating. You know, think about that. We have to make a decision. It's almost like that in Matthew. You can't serve God and mammon. You're going to fall under the presence of Christ in our everyday world. I mean, think about this. We begin to worry and experience that because in this take your health, your finances, your marriage, your kids, your career, or anything else in creation as the ultimate in your life. And I think many of us have done that at different times. And when you do that, and you think of what Jesus' teaching was, he talks about making food and clothing and shelter that you strive after, most important, uh-uh, not good. Jesus says, I know you need these things. I know you need them before you do. But what does Jesus admonish the Christians to do in the kingdom? But seek first my kingdom. It's a reshifting of the focus, right? 
Where the head goes, the body goes. If you want to look at meals, money, and material goods, that's where your body's going to go. Or you shift, and he says, seek after my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You see what God's trying to do? He's trying to get us to look up at him, not look out at the things that we have. Matthew 6, Scripture says that there's a fundamental issue of allegiance underneath all of this multi-layered influences that can make anxiety more difficult. This allegiance is ultimately given to another kingdom. What kingdom are you living in? To whom do you look for security, safety, and stability in a very unstable world? Where is your treasure? Your answer to these questions will reveal what you are living for and why you are struggling with worry. According to the scripture, at the heart of worry is an intense struggle to rest upon God's care and power in the midst of a broken, unstable world. We are to live with godly concern, which is dependent upon God and then rooted in prayer. So now we get to come to our message for today. You might say, Jeff, I'm so glad you took time to get there. I need some aspirin. I feel a little bit upset stomach and we've got some medication for you before you leave today. All right. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 4 because the book of Philippians really is a tremendous book. A lot of people call that the book of joy because he talks a lot about rejoicing. And it's interesting. We're talking about anxiety and worry, but now I get to go into joy. So that means there's got to be a process for us to be able to get to that point. And I want to look at a passage in, in, the, in the fourth chapter of the book. Actually, it's 4, 6 through 8 and 9, but I'm only going to deal with, again, the very beginning right here. So I'm going to look up there with you. We've got, uh, again, this is the two verses. So what I'd like us to do as a group, can we read this aloud to each other? Would that be fair? All right, here we go. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, you have no idea how deep that passage is. If I had to lock on one passage to help me get through life right now, this would be it. This is a pivot passage, a transcendent one for life. If you think about it, he's got three sections up there, so I want to break it out as best I can. Matter of fact, I've got to share something with you where I got a little bit anxious even before this message. I've got anxious for two reasons. One, because the clock is ticking down. <laughs> but second, we were going to try to use that little board that Pete uses you know, a piece of little Linus blanket. So I thought, what the heck, I'm going to use this little board. So I talked to Nick last night as I'm finishing up my message. I said, oh, yeah, and don't forget, Nick, I want to make sure I'm using the board. Pause on the phone. Nick, Nick, are you there? He says, well, I'd love to let you do it, but you can't. I said, Nick, I said, your job may be in jeopardy. He said, well, it's for the first time in like five years, it's busted. So I'm going, God's got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? He says, you can't. So last night I had the opportunity with time to be able to sit back and say, okay, I've got to retool this a wee bit, and that's just what I did. So my, my hieroglyphics now looks like this. And if you can figure that out, we'll go. So let's just talk about this real quickly. First of all, he says, do not be anxious. That's a command. In the Greek, it's an imperative. In the air is tense. Do not be anxious. It's a command. It's not a consideration. 
So let me ask you a question. If we have a command in the scripture and we don't do it, what do we call that? Oh, sin, sin, sin. Yeah. And I, we can chuckle it at that part, but that's what it is. If it's a command and we don't do it, it's sin. And then we wonder why we're in the mess we're in because we keep doing it and we're in that perpetual state of sin. What? Yeah, I may be forgiven ultimately, eternally, but in terms of my, my progressive sanctification with Christ, man, that alters my world. So he says, do not be anxious. And remember, the effect of prayer and the fruit of prayer is going to be peace. So what he says is, do not be anxious about everything, but, that's a big but, linguistically speaking, careful, all right? In every situation, then he tells you there's four things you need to do. First of all, he wants you, the key words, to do everything by prayer. And this type of prayer really is worship and adoration. This is what the Lord gave us in the Lord's Prayer when he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you get the difference? It's not, well, Jesus, I need some stuff. See, that's where we lose it, right? We come to him in an honorable way. We lift him up. We honor him. We have adoration. Next, he says, the second word is petition, and that's supplication. That's now where we start to focus on our needs, and we can be emotional with the Lord to tell him what's going on. I often think of when Jesus spent that time with his father, again, he went off, and I feel like most of his discussion or talk time or prayer time was like, I'm speaking with you. He would stand up or sit down, but he would have a conversation. It's okay to open up. Even Jesus in Matthew 6 tells us, you know what, better yet, maybe go into the prayer closet. Go into that secret place where your father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret and only come alone. He doesn't say bring the family. He says you get in there and spend time with them. But we get to talk about the petitions that we have for him as well. And then he says, not only that, Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. When was the last time you were thankful as you were praying for something that you need that you don't have? Kind of a conundrum, isn't it? How can I be thankful as I'm going through struggle, but God wants me to be thankful? Because that's what we have to do. Because we're recognizing that God is in control and we're going to be thankful for the outcome, whether yes, no, maybe, or not yet. There's options, isn't there? And then finally, he says, present your requests to God. And this is the more specific detail. This is where you lay it out before him. God wants to hear those things. And by the way, does God already know what we need? Was that kind of foolish that we have to tell him? Uh-uh. Because he wants us to tell him. He wants us as his children to come to him. What father or what mother doesn't want their children to come to them for help? Or normal ones. What father or mother, when their child asks for help, doesn't say sure, right? You lean in. God already knows that, but the issue at that point is not for him. He's going to do it intrinsically. It's within his nature to respond. But as a father, he wants to respond to us, so we need to come to him and communicate that. That's what relationship is all about. He knows it, but he wants us to communicate that because then it becomes alive and real. I work in a, a find out what their needs and wants are. And once they verbalize it, it becomes real. That's what God is wanting for us to do with him. He wants us to verbalize it so we know when we communicate it, guess what? 
Now he experiences it with us. He knows it actually, he knows it factually, but once we communicate it, that's powerful. And so what happens then? We've heard this verse before, you probably have memorized it, and the peace of God, which transcends what? All understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Peace of God. It doesn't say peace from God. It says peace of God. His peace. God is giving us his peace. What an amazing principle. And then what does it do, that peace that he gives us? That peace that he gives us transcends understanding. We can't get our arms around it. But boy, you sure know it when you get it, don't you? You know the peace when you have it. We understand what peace is in a turbulent, trying world. We know what peace is like in contrast to a life of anxiety and worry. It surpasses all understanding because its origin is not earthly. It's divine. And then it's going to guard your hearts and mind. I love that. Guard your heart and your mind. How you think, it's the irrational side, the emotional side. He's going to guard it. He places a sentry that prevents worry and anxiousness to come in. But we have to align ourselves with him. And he'll guard it, both our heart and our mind. You see, peace and anxiety cannot coexist. Anxiety and prayer cannot coexist. You are full of one or of the other. In Ephesians 5, it talks about be full, what? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does it say we will do? You will sing songs and hymns uh, and singing, making melodies in your heart, right? When I'm full of him, it makes itself manifest. That's why he contrasts it with do not get drunk with wine. If you're full of alcoholic spirits, it changes your behavior. But if you're full of the Holy Spirit, it changes your behavior. But that's a good behavior. We get his peace, which is transcendent. So here's what I'm saying. Anytime you feel anxious, remember, when anxiety pounds on your door and tries to kick it in, let prayer answer it. All right? If it's kicking that door in, you just stop and say, uh-uh, eh, eh, eh. You start praying. And when you start praying, stand by your Heavenly Father. You know, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, right, come unto me, those who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Let me share something with you as we kind of go forward. Uh, and I don't have it, Nick. We've got that, I think, on our website. But uh, we've got, uh, this was a thing that uh, Max Lucado did, and I love it. It's called Calm, and that was the title of the message. Rather be anxious, let's be calm. But his point was, it was a way to illustrate the passage we just went through. I'm not going to belabor this. If you got your phones, take a picture. If you, got, if you want to take a picture up here, you can as well. But take that picture, but we'll also give you a, a website link for you able to get that. But I want to close with this, if I could. How many of you have heard of a man named Horatio Spafford? Anybody in this audience? I see those hands. You know where I'm going, don't you? This is his wife. And that was just taken about two weeks ago. It was with a little Kodak camera, little Insta camera. And by the way, 
These were four of his children. Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Spafford, then we'll wrap this up, because I'm going into negative time, and everyone's kind of doing this. Cut, cut, cut. Mr. Spafford was a lawyer, lived in Chicago, was good friends with D.L. Moody. He had a significant number of investments in Chicagoland. In about 1871, he had a child that died, very tragically. And then about three years later, when the Chicago fire took effect, he lost almost all of his holdings. Ashes all fall down. Well, he kept trying to build his business back up. And again, strong Christian faith. But he realized that with the loss of his son and with the loss of the financial side of that and trying to reclaim it, they needed to break. And so they wanted to take a trip to England. And so Spafford got tickets for himself, for his wife, and for his daughters to go on a liner, ocean liner to England. Well, right before they were about to leave, some more business stuff came up. All you men understand that, right? All your wives do too. Yeah, honey, I get it. And he says, listen, go ahead and go. I'll come back a week or two later, but I just have to take care of these events. Well, during that time, the wife and the daughters, they were on that ocean liner, and they were crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. And all of a sudden, as they were traveling and crossing the Atlantic, their ship collided with the powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship, the Loch Urn. And suddenly, all of those on board were in grave danger. Anna hurriedly brought her four children to the deck. She knelt with there with Annie, Margaret Lee, Bessie, and Tanetta and prayed that God would spare them if that would be his will or make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. And within approximately 12 minutes, their ship slipped beneath the dock waters. Almost everybody died. They found the mom floating on some wreckage, but the daughters all died. What happened was it took weeks to remember, remember, we don't have phones that can kind of get instantaneously, right? So until they got to shore and they got to Western Union, what happened was she sent a message to her husband with two key words on it, saved alone. Saved alone. You think there was some anxiousness in that man's world? in her world? You think there was some worry in that, in those people's worlds? The fact that the mother could pray with her children before that ship went down, not knowing what was going to happen, and immediately turned to God and brought her kids in, powerful. And as a result, Mr. Spafford wrote a song that to me is probably one of my favorite hymns of all time, It Is Well With My Soul. It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
That's peace. That's peace that passes understanding. That's peace that had a divine protector around them and get it. Let me just challenge you in this way. I'm not asking God to create an environment like that. A number of you here have had losses as well. I don't want to minimize those, but boy, when I see that, what I'm looking at is, is that ability to have peace in light of that issue, traumatic issue. And so my challenge for you is, is to be anxious for nothing. But in everything in prayer, with supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Amen? Thanks, Jeff, for that message today. And I want to encourage you, um, as we come to worship together, um, you're not alone in whatever you're going through today. And if you need prayer, we have folks in the corner that can pray with you. If you're online, you can always send an email to care at yourhillside.com, and we'll connect with you and come together and pray together. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for that anointed message by Jeff and just what you've laid on his heart. And I just pray that we would apply that, that we can trust you in all things that we do not need to be anxious, but take things to you with prayer and thanksgiving and see you work in our lives. And I just thank you for our time to get together today. Pray, Lord, that we would be ever mindful of your involvement in our lives and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.